This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today's topic is Is $1 million enough to retire on? What a great question. With me today, I have financial planner Julie Chadwick, and we are going to talk about this topic. Julie, I think it's kind of a fun question because it used to be that $1 million was the epitome of where you needed to get with money, right? you've made it if you made a million, right? That's right. Yeah. Even in what, the Austin Powers movies, the guy wanted $1 million. (laughs) (laughs) The TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? There you go. That that would be it, right? (laughs) That should do everything. And not to say that having a million dollars isn't fantastic. It certainly is. And there's plenty of people out there that would love to be in that situation. But the truth of it is, is that a million dollars might not be enough anymore for somebody to actually retire on, which is kind of crazy. Because you're thinking the years in retirement are ending, are making it longer and longer mm-hmm. because people are living longer and longer. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that go into how much you need for retirement, but some of the top things are what your lifestyle is going to be like and how much you're spending each year, as well as how long you need this pool of money to last. So when it was your grandparents retiring. It was more about retire, sit on the front porch in your rocking chair and watch the world go by. And today people are reinventing themselves. They're traveling, they're taking trips around the world. There are people starting new businesses in their 70s and things like that. So there's all kinds of different things happening than the way our grandparents used to retire. So that makes a big change in the amount of money that you need to live on, too. Absolutely. One of my favorite travel stories that I've heard of um, what people are doing in retirement is that there is a boat that is called the world. And you actually buy a, a place to live, like an apartment on this boat. It's like a big, giant cruise ship. But all it does is that once a year, it circles the entire world. And so people who live on this are literally circling the globe once a year. And this is their home. Like, they receive their mail on this boat. It is their address. That'd be kind of fun. (laughs) I think it would be kind of fun. But it's incredibly expensive. I bet it's very expensive. (laughs) What if you don't like your neighbors? You're stuck with them. (laughs) You might be. (laughs) Every country you go to, you're stuck with the same neighbors. (laughs) But, okay, so when you think about whether or not $1 million is enough to retire on, There are a couple rules of thumb that I think are good for us to kind of consider. So the first one is how long retirement withdrawals might be needed. So Julie, when you're planning for people for retirement, what age are you typically using in your planning for them to live until? We're usually looking at age 65. Some people for retirement. are for, for retirement, and we're looking for 30 years in retirement, right? Because mm-hmm. people are living longer. Yeah, so that's really an age of 95 that we're planning for right now. Exactly. Yep. And when you think about the medical advances that have happened over the last 30 years, and you forecast that into the medical advances that could happen in the next 30 years, age 95 might be something that is easy breezy, lemon squeezy to get past. Right. It seems like each year <laughs> that's getting longer and longer. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of hard pill for people to swallow because they think maybe I have, you know, family issues or something that I, I don't think we're going to live that long. 
but we even put that in the planning still. Yeah, exactly. Some people, when they do planning with us, they say, nobody in my family ever lives past 80. <laughs> and we're like, well, we're going to at least plan till 85. Then. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But the thing about it is 30 years of your life is a really, really long time to not have a steady paycheck coming in from work that you're actively doing. So when you think about your retirement and you're thinking about is a million dollars enough and you have to split that among 30 years, that's not that much money coming out of there every year for 30 years. (laughs) For some people, it's ending up being more years in retirement than actually years they've been working. Right. When some people didn't work their whole career. Yes, that's very true. So it's kind of astonishing when you think about the length of retirement. Another thing that we kind of look at is inflation. And so we have some fun facts about inflation. (laughs) At least they're fun in our minds because we're financial nerds. (laughs) (laughs) But we want to kind of talk about like the value of $100. So in 1950, if you had $100, today it would be equivalent to $835. So it's interesting that just inflation alone has caused that $100 now to go up more than eight times what it was before. Right. That's that's, a lot. And like in 1950, if you bought a house, it was like $8,000. Yeah. (laughs) And by 1959, (laughs) it was $12,000. Yeah. And if you think about that, so let's keep going back to those 1950s because that's kind of a fun price point to think about. Your average income per year was only $3,200. And by the end of that decade of the 50s, it was $5,000. $5,000 a year. But here's what I think is an interesting correlation. The average income was $5,000 a year, and the average house price was $12,000 a year. So the average house was just a little more than two times what the average income was. That is generally not the ratio that we see today. Not even close. (laughs) Right. We see people having houses that are valued at three and four times their annual income, sometimes even more than that. And that's part of the reason that it's difficult to retire on a sum like a million dollars because our housing now costs so much more from a percentage of our income than it ever did before. And a lot of times we see more people in ret- going into retirement and still having that house payment as a debt. Okay, yeah. So the thing about having debt in retirement when you go into retirement with needing to continue to pay off that mortgage is it makes your fixed expenses so much higher. Even if it's only going to be for the first, say, 10 years of retirement, it's still a huge drag on the amount of money that you need every single month just to live. So recommendation from us is any debt that you can pay off before you actually retire is definitely going to be in your favor. Right. It's going to help you out in the long run. Yeah. So here's the thing when you think about this million dollars is the next rule of thumb important to pay attention to is called the 4% rule. So there are all kinds of probabilities when it comes to money and growth of money and usage of money and things like that. In fact, there's a system called the Monte Carlo system. And basically what the Monte Carlo system does is it runs 10,000 possible combinations of how 
money could shrink or grow every year over a period of time. Okay, 10,000 possible combinations of that. And what Monte Carlo simulations have showed us is that if you take out more than 4% of the pool of money you have in retirement, you have a pretty high likelihood that you'll run out. Right. (laughs) That's not what we want to see happen. No, we don't. We don't like to tell people that it's not going to work and you might have to go back to work. Right. That is the last thing that you want to see happen is you've retired and you think you're set for a strong retirement and then the market crashes and then all of a sudden you are deciding whether or not you want to go work at Walmart as a greeter. So the Monte Carlo theory in the 1960s when that came out was kind of the rule and that was the rule of thumb that everybody kind of lived by and they figured Mm -hmm. if they could take 4%, they're going to be okay. Right. Now, interestingly enough, when this 4% rule first came out, people were thinking of it in terms of um, preserving their principal. So they were thinking, well, we'll at least earn 4% because I can get 4% on my CD at the bank. So I can get the earnings off of it and I can just live off the earnings off of it and I can preserve my million dollars that I have to retire on. That is not the way that it's rolling right now. (laughs) Not even close. And then you have the factor that you run into if you have down market times for early years of retirement. Yeah. So this 4% rule, let's kind of close out the first half of our uh, show on that. If you are able to take money out of your retirement, you're really going to want to keep the amount you take out to be at 4% a year or less. So if you think about applying that to this million dollar number, that's $40,000 a year that you would be able to take out of a million dollar pool of money. And chances are you probably won't run out. Now that does not a guarantee. (laughs) There's never a (laughs) guarantee. That's a probability that you won't run out. If you had enough bad years and enough of the bad years were right at the beginning, that's going to increase your chances of running out. Also depending on your lifestyle. Right. Yeah. And and so when you think about this 4% rule, that's the quick and dirty number to keep in mind. So When you're planning for your retirement and you're trying to decide if your million dollars is enough, if you can live on the $40,000 that you're going to take out from there, plus any other income streams you have, maybe Social Security or something like that, then yeah, you might be able to retire on that million dollars. But if you really want to have an income that's bigger than that, then you have to decide how many millions if you really want to live like <laughs> a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How many millions are you going to need to be able to afford a strong retirement? Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about, is $1 million enough to retire on? So we've talked about the fact that it depends. It depends on how long you're going to be retired. It depends on what your lifestyle is and how much money you're going to spend. And it does depend to some extent on how well your investments perform while you're in retirement. Right. That's a key. You can't just take that million dollars and set it in the bank and hopefully it just hangs out and does well for you. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's not your best plan. No, that's not a good plan. We prefer that your retirement plan not be based on hope. (laughs) Let's plan it on real strategy. So here's the thing. When you think about retiring and you think about um, market performance and things like that and how it can affect you, then one of the common mistakes that we see is people getting fearful of the market because they are afraid that a down market is really going to crash and burn their retirement. And to some extent, that's definitely true. 
But what we see people doing is moving all of their retirement money to something conservative and not participating in any of the potential growth over the 30 years they might be in retirement. Right. Emotions are the number one factor that usually ruin a retirement plan. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) That is your biggest enemy is your own emotions about it. (laughs) But there is another big enemy of retirement planning, and that's something that's called sequence of returns risk. And sequence of returns risk, just in a nutshell, is that if the market is negative in, say, the first five years of your retirement, and you're pulling money out of the account that is going down during those negative markets, you could set yourself up for a situation where those accounts can never recover from that. Because you have pulled money out in a declining account, and that is something that eliminates the growth potential and took all of the loss. Right. And you don't have time for that to, money to recover to be able to come back up right. in your years in retirement. So sequence of returns risk, the reason that we call it that is because if negative returns happen early in the sequencing of your retirement, early on in the years that you're retired, then that can be a problem. So now think about it. Now, we've been in a bull market now for 10 plus years. So at some point in time... There's going to be a market downturn coming. We're going to have a correction. We are. <laughs> it's We're just going when. to have a correction. We don't know when. We don't know how big it's going to be. We don't know if it'll be a correction or a crash or what's going to happen. But someday, sometime, there's going to be a down market. That's the way of the markets. Right. And the thing about it is if you are in the early retirement years or if you are approaching retirement and we know out ahead of us that sometime this is going to happen, this can be a really big impactful issue for you. So there certainly are ways to eliminate sequence of returns risk, but yet still participate in growth. And if you do want to talk more about it, that's the time to reach out and call us and schedule a meeting. Talk to Julie, talk to Kelsey, talk to I about sequence of returns risk and how it might affect your portfolio. And uh, get an idea of whether or not your growth potential and the amount of money you have really is enough to carry you through retirement. Because a lot of people will say, well, if I have to go back to work, I could go back to work. But that's not the ideal plan, and that's not what we want to hear. Right. We don't want – that That maybe is like a distant backup plan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you are going to work in retirement, we hope it's because you're working for fun. And if you want to, right. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's a choice. That whole work is optional thing that exactly. we kind of talk about a lot. That's what we want you to be at is where it is optional. So if you are working and generating income in retirement, it's because you have a passion surrounding what you're doing and because you you enjoy the work and the impact that it's making. Right. And we do have a lot of retirees that are more and more saying that they do want to work in retirement. Actually, like 70% probably say that they would like to work in retirement, just something fun, maybe a hobby or something. Mm-hmm. But in all actuality, probably only 20 some percent do. <laughs> <laughs> Once they get that retirement bug. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I was just talking to somebody yesterday who's been retired for two years, and she said, I don't know how I ever had time to work. (laughs) That's what we hear a lot. (laughs) And she went on to say... I have been retired for two years and I still haven't cleaned out my closets yet. Like I, that was my first big thing I was going to do is clean out my closets. I still haven't got to it yet. So time just has a way of filling itself up in our crazy lives, I think. Definitely. (laughs) So speaking of time, let's talk a little bit about how much has changed over a period of years. So we kind of looked back at the 1950s. That's kind of a fun decade to look at about how much costs and The first thing I want to talk about is the cost of a car. 
So in 1950, the average cost of a car was $1,510 for just the average cost. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's a down payment now. <laughs> that's yeah. even not enough for a down payment. Right. And that's not even a good used car now. <laughs> it's like a beater car. <laughs> it might get you through the year. <laughs> exactly. But there were some cool cars, of course, back in the 1950s. And so, Julie, tell us a little bit about the prices of some of the cool cars. So the Chrysler New Yorker. That was like $4,300. Ah. So that was a little bit uh, higher upscale. <laughs> <laughs> the old Chrysler. That was like a big name. Like if your grandpa had a Chrysler, it was big time. <laughs> right. So I don't know if we go with the cool kids who had the Corvette. So a mm. 1958 Corvette would be $3,600. Wow. <laughs> Brand That's new. That's <laughs> crazy. That is just amazing to think about how much that has changed. So another thing that was kind of fun for us to look at is clothing. So <clears throat> there, <laughs> the thing that came up for us, we have been giggling about because the two main things that came up for us was an all-wool suit for men. Which was a big deal. Right. I mean, wool was the fabric, right? Like, that was the most, the nicest, most expensive fabric. And it was $28.90 for a suit, an all-wool suit, which, of course, I don't think that we see a lot of all-wool suits being all the rage right now. But certainly what came up for the women's clothing <laughs> item of choice is hilarious. It was a square dance cotton check dress. <laughs> And who didn't have that if you were square dancing? That's right. you got to have your square dance outfit. And it was $3.29. Right. And so, it, it again, it just kind of shows you how much times change because, you know, we, we really don't shop for square dancing clothes anymore, most of us. <laughs> and definitely not for $3. Exactly. For a whole outfit, yeah. Exactly. All right, here's another thing that was kind of interesting that showed up as one of the big major purchases that people were looking for at that time, a um, electric portable Singer sewing machine. And now people who are crafty are buying sewing machines now, but people back then were buying them to make their clothes. Because they had to. Yeah, it exactly. Wasn't a, it wasn't just a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> and they sold for $19.90. Yeah, so think about that. When I was a kid, my mom still made some of our clothes, and then she recycled some of our clothes because that's what you did, you know. Pass them down, patch them up. <laughs> yep, and the patches that she would put on my brother's pants, she made flower-shaped patches and put them <laughs> on my brother's pants, and then it could become girl pants. <laughs> That's resourceful. I, hated my, I know. It was. I think my mom was ahead of her time with that. I hated wearing them, but now I think about that and think how genius it was that she thought about doing things like that to girlify them. When I look back in pictures and I see my sisters or brothers wearing clothes and then I'm wearing them, you know, five years later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> yep. They also had a mechanical adding machine on here. And I just kind of get a giggle out of that, too, because now if, for most people, if you need a calculator, what do you grab? It's on your phone. It's on your cell phone. <laughs> Yep, exactly. <laughs> and for sure, they didn't have cell phones back then and all the money we spend a month on cell phones, for crying out loud. All right, another thing that was kind of funny was the cost of food. And so, you know, when it came to meat, of course, that was going to be the big thing. That was your dinner. So a rib roast was 29 cents per pound. <laughs> 
I just think that's fantastic. I love that. Or Ritz crackers, 32 cents. Yeah. Now, here's what I love the most about that is that I just bought some Ritz crackers the other day. <laughs> so Ritz is still around. Good for Ritz. <laughs> okay. So that just is kind of a fun walk down memory lane about what things cost. But it what it's really intended to show you is what the impact of inflation is and how much things increase in price over time. So from the time you're 65 to the time you're 95, you can expect the cost of these same type of things, minus maybe your square dancing dress, to <laughs> actually go up significantly again. So if you think about that, in your future, by the time you're 95, a car might cost $100,000 for the average car. A house might cost four or five hundred thousand just for the average basic house. We don't know what's going to happen with these prices, but inflation is something that's real, and that makes that one million dollar not something that's really going to be enough to carry the average Joe through retirement. So, we hope that's been valuable for you to kind of think about how to position the amount of retirement money that you're going to want to be trying to shoot for and answers the question of, is $1 million enough to retire on? Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sturt Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sturt Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dunes, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.